maybe three or four that I can think of off the top of my head. First of all, uh, to let you know that our partners, Nehemiah Vision Ministries down in Haiti, are doing incredible work down there. And they have teams in and out every week, and God is doing some amazing stuff through them in Haiti. And if you want to be a part of that trip, uh, we have another trip uh, we're already planning for coming up in February. It'll be over uh, the week that includes President's Day, and there is information at the Info Hub uh, just outside these doors as you leave. You can pick up a packet and find out information about what it costs and when we're going to go and, and a lot of the logistics and details, and we encourage you to do that. But, but also because we know that not everybody's going to go to Haiti. Not all of you are feeling called to go to Haiti. Uh, not all of you feel like you even want to go on an international mission trip or a short-term mission trip, but, but we're all called to serve somewhere. And so over the next three weeks, including this week, we're going to be talking about that a lot, and we're even going to talk about it in our message today as we continue in our series, The Story. Uh, we're in the book, The Story. Uh, we're starting on chapter 19 today. If you have your, uh, the, your copy of the story, you might turn it there. If you don't, uh, you can open up your Bible. We're going to start in Second Chronicles 36. If you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, we have one for you. Uh, we have one just like this at the Info Hub, uh, just outside these doors. We want you to take it and take it home and read along with us. On your worship program, uh, there is a schedule of readings for the week, and it'll help you to be prepared if you come and read ahead. And so we'd love you uh, to be a part of that with us. Second Chronicles 36 is where we're going to start. But first of all, uh, my name's Steve Wallen. I'm the campus pastor here at Genesis Church, and I want to wish you all a happy August. Uh, it's August. Our kids went back to school this week. August is a fun month for me, um, but it's also... Uh, This time of year, I'm a little bit nervous because my wife and I celebrate in just a couple weeks our wedding anniversary. We'll be uh, 21 years uh, this this year, and so we're going to celebrate that on August 15th. But but this time of year, I'm always thinking about what do I get her as an anniversary gift? I mean, it's kind of, I'm obsessed about it right now, and I'm thinking that this might be a good anniversary gift. You guys know what this is? It's a car GPS, right? Well, and I'm thinking about this because my wife is not the best with directions. Okay, she, she's got a lot of great points to her. She's got a lot of great character qualities and, and traits and things that I love about her. I always tell her, dear, you're, you're, you're sweet, charming, and delightful, and a joy to be around. I mean, that's what I tell her all the time, but... Finding her way is not one of those character traits that she has. And so, and, and so whenever we go somewhere, especially when we go someplace new, I have to be the one that drives, which is fine. I don't mind driving. But, you know, if you're taking a long trip and then you're going to turn around and come back the same day, sometimes it's a, it's, it takes a lot out of you, right? It's a little bit exhausting. And so sometimes on the way home, my wife will offer to drive, which is great. And I really appreciate that, except she doesn't always know the way home either, <laughs> And so I still have to stay awake and, and teach her the way home. Well, the, the reason I'm thinking about one of these is that most of these have a setting for home. Do you guys use these in your car? Anybody who has a GPS in your car? Anybody? You, do you use the home setting so that when you've gone someplace, right, all you do is you, I don't know how this one works, but you hit home and it will reverse your directions and take you home. Well, I think in a way, we're all programmed to go home, aren't we? I mean, I remember when I was a kid, I grew up on the west side of Indianapolis. I lived there my whole life in Indy. Uh, but my, my parents, both my parents were from West Virginia. And I grew up with my dad in a, in a home with my dad. And uh, my dad was from southern West Virginia. And I remember as a kid, two to three times a year, we would make that trip to West Virginia, eight hours in the car. And, and whenever I'd ask dad, where are we going to go over spring break or where are we going to go over summer break? Uh, he would always say, well, we're going back home. 
And I thought that was strange because I always thought of home as the house I grew up in, right? The house in Indianapolis. And I would have thought that he would too because he'd lived there for 10, 15 years when I was growing up. But no, home for him was always West Virginia. Home was where his family is. Uh, that's where home was for him. And, and, and for some reason, he was programmed to go back home. Well, today, as we continue in chapter 19 of the story, we're faced with the people of Israel being far from home. They're living in exile, many of them, in a place called Babylon. Now, we tend to skip over this part, this part about them living in exile and how painful that must have been. Okay, but, but exile means that they were forced to live in a place that they didn't want to live. They were forced to be someplace that they didn't want to be. I mean, think about that for a minute. How hard would it be for you if you were forced to live someplace you didn't want to live? Now, this is why this is important for you, okay? Because in a way, many of us right now are, forced to, are being forced to live someplace we don't want to live. I mean, in fact, if you're a Christian and you ever get discouraged, all right, if you ever feel discontent, most of us do, all right? Some of that discontent comes from the fact that you are living in a world that you weren't created for. I mean, you weren't made to live in this world. And some of our discontent comes from that. And someday, you know, if you're, if you're a believer, if you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, uh, you're going to be in heaven. And it's going to be awesome. There's going to be no more pain and no more sorrow, no more suffering. What a glorious day that's going to be. But for now, we are, fo- we are forced to live in exile on earth. Now, there's lots of stories of people living in exile. One of them is very recent. Can anybody name uh, this guy right here? You guys know this guy on the screen? Yeah, this is Charles Ramsey, right? And Charles, uh, just this spring, was promoted to instant hero status as he helped free three women who were living in captivity in Cleveland, Ohio. And many of us heard their stories and our hearts just ached for the things that they had to go through. And even this week, as, as the, uh, the perpetrator was sentenced, uh, we heard these stories of things that they had to endure. I mean, they had literally been held in exile, being forced to live someplace they didn't want to live. They were, we might call them hostages. Well, and, and we celebrated with them when they had the chance to go home, right? Well, in the story, now we're not talking about three women being held in exile, but we're talking about an entire nation of people, about 50,000 people of this Jewish remnant uh, that are being forced to live someplace they don't want to live. And at the end, of, except, and they were living in a place called Babylon, except what we found out at the very end of chapter 18, if you did your homework last week and you read all the way through chapter 18, is it's not called Babylon anymore. Because what happened was the Babylonian Empire was invaded by the Persians and taken over. And so now it's part of Persia. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. We're in 539 BC. Okay, this is a historical event. It's actually, it it happened. It's recorded in the history books. We know the people involved. The king of Persia, a man by the name of Cyrus, he does something, well, unexpected. And so 2 Chronicles 36, uh, verse 22 is where we're going to start. If you have your copy of the story, it's page 263. In the first year of Cyrus, king of Persia, in order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah. Okay, stop right there. So Jeremiah is a prophet. You know, we talked to him about him a couple years ago. Prophets prophesy. They speak about things that God's going to do. And so Jeremiah had predicted this would happen. He's a prophet. So here it is. It's happening. Okay. In order to fulfill the word of the Lord spoken by Jeremiah, the Lord moved the heart of Cyrus, king of Persia, to make a proclamation throughout his realm and also put it in writing. Okay, verse 23. This is what Cyrus, king of Persia, says. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has appointed me to build a temple for him at Jerusalem in Judah. 
Any of his people among you may go up, and may the Lord their God be with them. Now, what we heard a couple weeks ago is that the temple in Jerusalem had been destroyed when the Babylonians sacked the city, but that was 24 years ago, okay? And so this is an extraordinary move by Cyrus because Cyrus, who's often known in history books, if you read about him, as Cyrus the Great, uh, he was a warrior, all right, that was his thing. He was a fighter. He was the guy that would take over cities. In fact, uh, he kind of assembled this ragtag army of Persians, uh, this empire by hand, as they took over the Medians, um, which is not really important to the story, but they took over the Medians to become the Persian Empire, and then they took over the Babylonians, and so Cyrus was appointed king as a result. He's, he, as a result of his strength and his, his fortitude and his battle readiness, this guy uh, was appointed the king of Persia. Anyway, Cyrus decided the best way to lead an empire was to uh, allow all of the cultures and religions that exist in that empire to continue to exist. And so much unlike what the Romans did about 500 years later as they assembled the Roman Empire and tried to integrate everybody into their way of thinking, what the Persians did, and the reason their empire was so successful for so long, was they allowed each individual people group to keep their own culture, their own customs, their own religion. And so he comes to Babylon and they invade and they notice that there are actually two groups of people living here. There are the Babylonians who've been there for hundreds of years. And then there's this Jewish remnant who've been taken over from Judah, from Jerusalem and Judah, who've only been there for about 20 to 25 years. And he decides to let these people go and to go uh, have them go build a temple. This is an amazing turn of events. I mean, think about it. The scripture tells us that this was orchestrated by God through the prophet Jeremiah predicted that. Um, but this Jewish remnant has been in exile for more than 20 years. And all of a sudden they're free. But Cyrus didn't just say they were free. He told the people of Babylon to give them anything they needed to go build the temple, gold and silver and livestock and all the stuff that they would need to make this journey and and, and go uh, build the temple. And so all of a sudden they're free and they have the resources they need to go back to Jerusalem and build this temple. See, the people of God wouldn't have truly been home until they were there with the temple of God. Because remember, for the nation of Israel, the temple of God represented God's presence on the earth. Okay, remember, this is, uh, this is God's home. Okay, this is, this is the Old Testament. It's before Jesus has come. Uh, and so there's no God walking in the flesh on the earth. God's presence is represented by this temple of God. And it was destroyed 24 years ago. Now, without the temple, where do priests go to communicate with God? You know, where do people go to worship? Where do people go to encourage one another? There was no place. And for the nation of Israel, the temple was a visible reminder that God wanted to be with his people. Uh, this was that God's desire was to be with them on earth. This is foreshadowing, okay? In the Old Testament, this is a foreshadowing of Jesus. God wants to be here among his people. And so God wasn't on this mountain. The temple wasn't up on a mountain. It wasn't far away from the city, but it was smack dab in the middle of what had been the most populous city in all of Judah, right in the middle of Jerusalem was this temple. It was God saying, I want to be right here among you. And of course, that's what he did when he sent Jesus uh, hundreds of years later. So the nation of Israel is free. Um, They've got people, they've got resources, and and they start this 900-mile journey uh, back to Jerusalem. Uh, There are 50,000 altogether of the Jews that make this journey, and they get right to work. They get back to Jerusalem and they get right to work. And they're so zealous. Uh, they're so excited about this project. You know how it is, right? When you start something new, something that you're excited about, and you get right to work and you think about it day and night and you go at it really uh, all the time. 
I remember when um, I bought my first house, I was engaged to be married to my wife, Benita, and uh, it was a real fixer-upper. It was 100 years old. Uh, It was in downtown Noblesville on one of the brick streets down there, and it had been uh, double for about 50 years. So there was an apartment upstairs and an apartment downstairs. And I bought this house and I had about three or four months before we got married and she would move in. And so every night after work, I would go in and I would uh, do work on this house and we were stripping wallpaper and we were uh, um, refinishing woodwork and we were uh, taking out the bathrooms and the kitchen and, and adding you know, things in, taking out bedrooms and making them into living rooms and all this stuff was happening. And, and, and I'd be working in one room and then as I'd walk through the house to either go outside or whatever, I'd be in another room and I'd see something else that was interesting or unusual and I'd start poking around and before you knew it, I was tearing apart that room as well. And I I remember one uh, weekend, Benita came up to see my progress on the house and as she walked through the house, she noticed that just about every room was torn up. Like there was no place that we could live. I mean, she was moving in in a month or six weeks or something like that and there was no place to live. And I remember she turned to me and she said, could you just think about finishing one room before you start the next one? And, and that stuck with me. I mean, that's something you got to do no matter how excited you are about a new product. You just get so excited. You want to make these things happen. That's just how it is when you start something new. And that's what the Jewish people were like. And so they get back to Jerusalem and they, they roll up their sleeves and they get right to work. You know, their highest priority was seeing this temple rebuilt. Ezra chapter 3 says it this way. It says, the people assembled as one in Jerusalem. I love that saying, they assembled as one in Jerusalem. It shows that there was unity among the people, that they were united in wanting to see this temple built. There was oneness oneness of purpose among them. Now, the Bible tells us there were dissenters, people from outside of Judah who didn't want to see this temple built. Uh, There were people who tried to distract them from building the temple, but the people stayed on task. They made God's priority their priority. But if you know people at all, you know what happened. I mean, after a while, they started to lose focus. They started to lose interest on the temple. They stopped working on the house of God and started working instead on a lot of their own personal projects. Now, who knows why? Maybe they got physically tired. I mean, lifting bricks and hauling mortar around certainly is physically tiring work. Uh, Maybe they got distracted by the naysayers. You know, all these shouts from the peanut gallery about how foolish it was to try to rebuild this temple to God. I mean, after a while, you hear something enough, it's going to get to you, right? But more than likely, they just got distracted. They just lost their focus. Remember we said a couple weeks ago, we are prone to wander away. Well, that's probably what happened with the people of Israel. Has that ever happened to you? I mean, you make a big commitment, you know, maybe at the beginning of the year, right? We all make uh, New Year's resolutions, or a lot of us do. You make a big commitment, and I'm finally going to start that that exercise program, right? And so you go out January 1st or the first day of your commitment. It's usually on a Monday. You go out day one and you run five miles. Like I've started, I'm exercising now. And, and uh, that night you're kind of sore. You can feel it in your legs. You feel it in your back. You have a hard time sleeping that night. But, but you wake up the next morning and you're committed, right? You're, I'm going to go after it. And so the next day you're going to run six miles, because you're in shape now, right? I mean, you're getting after it. And so I can't do less than I did the day before because I'm progressing. I want to see progress, right? So on day two, you go six and you can keep this up for a while, you know, a couple days, maybe a week. But after a while, your, your enthusiasm kind of wears off, doesn't it? Or, or maybe you're going back to college soon and you think, you know, what this year is going to be different. No parties for me this year. I'm going to stay on track. I'm going to stay focused on my studies. But that first weekend back, you don't have any commitments, Right? You don't have any classes, you don't have any place to be, and a friend invites you to a party. 
And, and a little bit won't hurt anyway, right? And you don't have classes or anything, and so all of a sudden you're wandering. You know, you're caught in this rut. You get distracted. Or you hear a sermon you like. Okay, maybe somewhere else, all right? But you hear a sermon you like, and, and you read a passage of Scripture, and you think, okay, I'm going to start going to church every week. But a couple of weeks later, I mean, football season starts. And you can't really get up too early to get here for church. And, and, and I know the game's not till 1 o'clock, but I, you don't want to miss the experts' pregame discussion for five hours about how your third-string fantasy running back's going to do about that terrible Kansas City defense, right? And so you, you get glued to the couch. You, you give in to distraction. Or you think, I'm not going to cheat on my expense reports anymore. Or I'm not going to go to that website anymore. I'm not going to visit that place anymore. But there is a collision coming between your good intentions and your worldly desires. And before long, you're distracted. I'm guessing that the people of Israel didn't plan to abandon work on the temple forever. They probably just thought, you know what, let's just take a week off. Let's just give it some time, maybe a month. Maybe we'll harvest our crops first, and then let's let's get through this season, and then we'll get back to it. But what happened is one by one, they stopped showing up until eventually there's nobody there working on the temple. God's kingdom became secondary to their own kingdom. And then a year passed. And then two. And then five. And then ten. And then sixteen. For sixteen years, the temple sat abandoned. No one was working on it. Weeds covered the foundation. The temple began to become a metaphor for their misplaced faith. Sixteen years is a long time. It's enough time for people who were passing through Judah to take a look at the temple and see that it was in disrepair and think, they sure don't take their God very seriously. But even more important than that, it was enough time for an entire generation of kids growing up thinking, hey, our parents don't care about God. Why should we? And this is an important reminder to those of us who are parents. And it's this, what you do speaks louder than what you say. You know, what you do speaks louder than what you say. And as we raise our children, they may or may not listen to what we say, but they sure will watch what we do, won't they? I remember one time watching my daughter, my oldest daughter. uh, She was probably three or four, and she was playing with some of her stuffed animals. And I remember she one time threw up her hands in exasperation and said, these kids are driving me crazy. (laughs) I don't know where she got that. (laughs) Probably from her mother. By neglecting the temple, the people of Israel were sending a message. And it was the wrong message. I mean, even if they didn't mean to, even if they didn't intend to send it, it was the message that everyone who walked by the temple heard loud and clear. And that wrong message is this. It was saying, my priorities or our priorities are higher than God's priorities. That was the wrong message to send. Now, here's why this is so important to you. Okay, don't miss this. Because your life may be sending that message too. I mean, you may not even know it because in some area of your life, you have influence over people. You know, you have influence and they listen to what you do. They watch what you do even more than they listen to what you say. All right, if you're a parent, you better believe you have influence over your kids. Even if your kids are at that point where you think you have no, long, no more influence. If they're gone and out of the house, if they're going away to college, if they're in high school and you think they don't listen to a word I say, that may be true but they do watch what you do. You have influence over your kids. If you're, if you're a leader at work, if you're a boss, a manager, a supervisor at work, you have influence. People watch what you do, maybe even more than what, listen to what you say. If you're an aunt or an uncle or an older brother or sister, you have influence. 
People are watching what you do. If you're a professional, a doctor, a lawyer, a counselor, a pastor, people are watching you. They watch what you do, maybe even more than they listen to what you say. If you volunteer for an organization, if you, if you serve on the board somewhere, you have influence. People are watching what you do, maybe even more than what you say. And if you're a Christian, you better believe you have influence. And people are watching what you do, maybe even more than what you say. What message is your life sending? Can people look at your life and see that God's priorities are higher than your priorities? Or are you sending the wrong message that my priorities are higher than God's? Earlier, you heard Mandy talk about some opportunities to serve here at Genesis Church. And one of the biggest barriers to serving uh, isn't that people don't want to serve or that they don't know how to serve. It's just that we're busy. We're all busy, right? We have other things to do. We have other priorities. But, but God has gifted all of us to serve. He's given us gifts and skills and talents and abilities to use to build his kingdom. And if you're not serving in that way, you're not doing what God created you to do. I mean, that can lead to discontent, but maybe even more than that, it can serve to send a message. And maybe it's not the message you want to send. I mean, maybe you're here and you think, I, I don't have enough time to serve. I, I want to I give you an object lesson right now. Uh, turn to the person to the right of you, okay? If you've got somebody there, turn to the person to the right of you. You know that that person has exactly as many hours in a day as you have. And there's a good chance that they serve. Turn to the person to the left of you. You know how many hours the person to your left has in a day? 24. I almost guarantee it that we all have the same amount of time. So it doesn't come down to time. What it comes down to is where are your priorities? You know, but God is gracious. And in the case of Israel, after 16 years of neglect, he sends another prophet. Now remember, prophets are messengers. Uh, They're sent to tell the people of Israel, hey, you're going the wrong way. Okay, and God sends another prophet, a prophet by the name of Haggai. Haggai has his own book in the Old Testament. And so in Haggai 1, this is on page 266 of the story, if you have that with you, uh, it says this, Haggai 1.4. He says, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house, he's talking about the temple of God, while this house remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. I wonder how many of you feel that way. This is what the Lord Almighty says, verse 7. Give careful thought to your ways. Go up into the mountains and bring down timber and build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored, says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty? Because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with your own house. That seems pretty harsh, doesn't it? But don't miss this. Because this is what happens when we treat God's mission as an option. I mean, it's pretty clear in this passage, God brought drought, He brought difficulties. He brought despair. They planted a lot, but they harvested very little. They earned money, but it disappeared without them ever really knowing where it came, where it went to. Why? Because they weren't focused on God's priorities first. They weren't being temple builders. The temple was rotting while they were sitting there building their own houses. And, And the same thing can happen to us. If we put our priorities before God's priorities, we can feel like we're just spinning our wheels. Well, for 16 years, 
The nation of Israel was spinning its wheels. It was going around in circles. They, they were sending the wrong message to their children. We love God, we just don't have time for him. You know, they were, they were back home, but, but nothing in their lives had really gotten better. They had changed their, their address, but they hadn't changed their situation. You know what that's like? You ever feel like something's missing and so you decide, I'm going to move, I'm going to move to a new house, a new apartment, a new city, a new neighborhood, new surroundings, but, but nothing about your life changes? Or maybe you're thinking about that now and you think, you know, ooh, if we could just get in that neighborhood. I mean, maybe I could take a second job and if you could work part-time and we could watch what we spend in other places and maybe we could just make it happen. But, but God says, I want to be first. I want to be first in your life. See, the problem with the nation of Israel is that they needed to be the people of God before they could experience freedom from their exile. They were free from their captors, but they weren't truly free. Because true freedom only comes when we put God first. When when God isn't first in our lives, we are living in exile. When God isn't first in our lives, we are living in a place where we don't belong. So how do they become the people of God? How how do we become the people of God? How do we become those modern day temple builders? I just want to take the last few minutes and and look at three traits, three three things that that modern day temple builders have in common, that the people of God have in common. And and these are in your worship program if you want to follow along. Uh, Number one is this. We need to practice the presence of God. We we need to realize that God is always here. He's, He's always present. You know, in ancient times, they had that temple. That temple represented God's presence on earth. But we don't worship in temples like that anymore. We, we don't go there to make sacrifices anymore. Why not? Well, because we don't have to anymore. Because God, in his infinite wisdom and his awesome power, decided not to have his presence in a temple, but to send his presence in a person through Jesus Christ. And God came to earth and he lived in our neighborhood and he felt like what it was like to live as a human and to be tempted and to undergo trials. And then he went to the cross and he died for us and he was buried. But he overcame death. And Jesus, after coming out of the tomb, he walked around and he appeared to people. And it's reported in scripture, this man that was dead just showed up places. Like first at dinner parties and gatherings, but then literally at one time to hundreds of people. And it's all recorded in scripture. It's recorded in the book of Acts by people who were eyewitnesses to those events. But but the best part for us, for us today, happened when Jesus left. Because after he walked around for a while, he ascended into heaven, but he sent someone in his place. The Bible calls him a comforter. It was God's Holy Spirit. And now the Holy Spirit is available to all of us who believe in him. And so that God doesn't just live among us now. He doesn't just walk around with us now, but he lives in us. He lives inside of us. And if you believe, uh, he lives inside of you too. And so in 1 Corinthians 6, where Paul writes, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? This is what he means, that, that your body houses God. The Spirit of God is living in your body if you're a believer in Jesus Christ. We need to practice that presence by remembering it's there. We, we can practice by coming together as the church, as a body of believers and, and building each other up and worshiping together and taking communion together and being connected to one another through connection groups and, and by serving together. You know, the famous preacher Dwight Moody used to always pray, Lord, fill me up. And there's a story recorded of one other pastor who came to him and said, Pastor Moody, you already have all of God's spirit in you. Why do you constantly pray for God to fill you up? And Moody said, because I leak. The truth is we all leak. 
We all leak that, and so we've got to practice God's presence. Number two is this, practice godly prayer. Practice godly prayer. In the days of ancient Israel, before Jesus came, people couldn't pray directly to God. They, they had to have a priest do it on their behalf. In the center of the temple, so where this temple had been, in the very center was this place called the Most Holy Place, or it's sometimes referred to as the Holy of Holies. It was right in the middle of the temple, and no one could ever enter except the priest, and the priest was only allowed to enter one time a year. So there was one priest over all of Israel, and he was allowed to enter the Most Holy Place one day every year, and he could take people's prayers to God. And in fact, the people were so afraid to go in there that they, what they would do, not, I'm not joking, is that they would, before the priest went in on his one day a year, they would tie a rope around his ankle so that if he walked in and died in the most holy place, they could pull him out without anyone else having to risk their life and going into the most holy place. I know it sounds crazy, but it's true. That's how seriously they took this. Nobody ever went in there. And you know how hard that must have been. Because if you're at all like me, when you see a sign that says, do not enter, the only thing you want to do is go in that door, right? I wonder what's in there. I wonder what's in there. Or like if you see a sign that says wet paint, you just have to do this, right? <sighs> is it really wet? It's like we have this, this uh, folder on our shared drive at work. It says this. I always want to open that folder. I don't know what's in there. I haven't done it, but it says don't open this folder, and it just makes me want to do it, right? But the people never went in the Holy of Holies. They never went in the most holy place. They never got to talk to God directly. The most holy place was separated from the rest of the temple by a cloth that was four inches thick. It was called a veil. And it represented the separation between God and man. But when Jesus died, uh, Scripture tells us that the moment Jesus died, that that veil was torn apart, that God himself did that. So that now we, through the name of Jesus Christ and Christ alone, have direct access to God. We can pray directly to him. And the only reason that was possible was because Jesus was literally dying for you to be in communion with God. He wanted you to be in God's presence. He wanted you to be able to personally worship him and personally pray to him and get close to him. No longer was God at arm's length. God was here with us. Hebrews 10 says it this way, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way open for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, he says, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart. So we practice God's presence. We practice godly prayer. And number three is this. We practice God's priorities. If we want to be modern day temple builders, we have to practice God's priorities. What you do with your time, your talent, and your treasure shows far more about how much you love God than anything that you say. I mean, show me your checkbook and your calendar, and I'll tell you what you value. The people of Israel became more concerned about their own projects than God's temple being built, than God's priorities. And the temple suffered as a result. They, they invested their money into their own houses instead of into God's house. How are you doing in this area? Is God getting the first and best of your resources? Are you being generous with your treasure? Are you giving the, the best of your time to God's ministry? Are you putting serving God ahead of serving yourself? You know, in just a few weeks, about six weeks on September 15th, we're starting a second service here at Genesis Church in Carmel. You know, our service times are going to change to 9.30 and 11.15. Now, don't come at 9.30 next week. Okay, everybody hear that? Come back if you've been sleeping. Not next week. Okay, we've got about six weeks, but we're going to go to two services. And that's great because it means more seats available to help people find their way back to God. It means more space in our classrooms. I, hey, look, I know it's summer now, 
And I know you look around the room and you see all these empty seats right here in the middle. I know the families that usually sit there, okay? They're not here this week. It's all right. Um, but you look around, you see all these empty seats and you say, two services, that doesn't make sense. But let me tell you, we had 18 kids in our preschool room last week. 18. Now, that's too much for one teacher. It's too much for two teachers. It's too much for one room to hold. And so even in this time in summer, when people don't go to church, I don't know if you know that, but people don't come to church at summer. You guys are the exception. You're not the rule, so thanks for coming. People don't come to church in the summer. We are still seeing growth. God is growing this church, and I don't know why, but he is. God continues to bless this church, and so we're making room for more, for more kids and adults, and it's going to be great for our volunteers, especially in Gen Kids. I mean, right now, as it stands, if you teach in Gen Kids, uh, you don't get to come to church that day. You know, we've got one service, and so you have to choose, am I going to serve or am I going to worship? And we have some volunteers who have been serving faithfully for almost a year. We've been here almost a year. They've been serving two, three, even four times a month so that your kids can learn about God at the same time that we're in here doing the same thing. They serve you in that way every week. Somebody who's just as busy as you are serves you in that way. But two services means we have twice as many volunteer spots available. It means we need twice as many teachers and twice as many people in registration positions, and, but also twice as many people on our host team. Maybe you don't like kids. That's okay. We don't want you with kids. If you don't like kids, I don't want you in there. I promise. I want people who will have my kids, all right? And so if you don't like kids, we've got places, man. We've got, we got the host team. We've got the cafe team. We've got the parking team. We've got the prayer team, as Mandy talked about. We've got all these places that you can serve and use the gifts and use the abilities that God has given you to build his kingdom and, and because we're growing, it means that we need twi- more than twice as many because God is growing this church. And as we grow, there's more and more opportunities for you to get involved, more chances for you to step up and use your gifts. You know, when people have been attending Genesis for a while, people, they often come up to me and say, hey, I'm in. I want to I wanna become a member of Genesis Church. And I say, well, we, I'm sorry, we don't have membership. Uh, it's not that we don't like churches that have members. That's fine. It's not that we, we hate membership. It's just the way we do it around here is we don't have members. But what we want to do is we want to see everybody growing in what we call the three C's. And Mandy talked about them this morning. Celebrate, connect, and contribute. We want to see you growing in the way you celebrate, coming to church every week and celebrating the work that God's doing in your life. We want to see you connecting through other believers, through connection groups, through uh, go groups and other things, other opportunities. And we want to see you contribute here. And that means that you contribute financially to the ministry of Genesis Church, and it means that you tr- contribute your time. And, and I'm going to tell you, if, if you stick around here very long and you don't find a place to serve, you might get a little uncomfortable because we talk about it a lot and because it's what God designed you to do. It's what he created you for. You know, I was talking to a volunteer. We had a volunteer in the office this week who helps us out with Gen Kids, and, and she was excited about two services, and she said, you know, if, if we have two services, I'm probably going to be back there every week. And I said, well, that's great because it means you get to go to service every week too. And she said, well, I, I don't know because, you know, my kids are here, and I don't know if, if I'm going to, you know, have my husband, you know, take care of the kids or what we're going to do and all that. And she said, but she said, if I had to choose between serving and coming to church, she said, I'd choose to serve. Now, maybe that's because I'm here. I don't know. Okay, I get that. But serving is such an important part of who she is. It means that much to her. Remember, God wasn't content to let his presence be confined to a building. I mean, he he sacrificed, he gave himself so he could come live with us, to live in us. And and if we are his followers and we've been brought to life by him, we should be willing to make, make the next move. And one more thing, you know, for you, if you're here this morning, that next move might mean that you need to become a follower of Jesus. I mean, you may be here and maybe you've been checking us out for a while and, and, and you like the church, you like the music or whatever, but, but you've never made that step to make Jesus the Lord of your life. Well, maybe this morning's the day. 
And we're going to pray here in just a minute, and I'm going to pray a prayer, and you can pray along with me, and you can invite Jesus Christ to be the Lord of your life, and your life will be changed forever. I, I got to tell you, it took me a long time sitting in church to realize that sitting in church wasn't going to change my life. It took me a long time sitting in church to help me realize that sitting in church wasn't going to help me get to heaven, that I needed to make that decision to allow Jesus Christ to be the Lord of my life. And maybe for you, if you're here today, maybe that's the decision you need to make too. Maybe that's the best way for you to put God's priorities ahead of yours. Would you pray with me? Father God, I thank you uh, that the temple finally got built. That through refocusing on uh, your, your priorities instead of ours, that the people of Israel rebuilt that temple. But I thank you even more, God, that you sent for us a new temple, that, that you sent a new way to worship through Jesus Christ, and that uh, through his death and his resurrection and his ascension into heaven, that you sent your Holy Spirit to live inside of us. God, that's amazing to think about that the, the same God that created the universe, that made the stars that we see, that made the earth, that made the mountains and the oceans, has chosen to take up residence inside of me. And inside the people in this room, God, I don't know why you would do that, but it's amazing to know that we have that power, that if we just ask you to be the Lord of our lives, that we have your Holy Spirit living inside of us. What an incredible thought that is this morning. And so as I said, maybe you're here and you've never made that step. You've been coming to church for a long time or maybe you just started. But you've never made that decision to make Jesus the Lord of your life, to say, God, I want to follow you. Jesus, I, I don't know what needs to change, but my life is a mess. Or, or I'm lonely, or, or I'm tired of trying to figure this stuff out on myself, or I'm tried, try, tired of being stuck in this pattern of sin. God, I need you. I need to follow Jesus. You can pray this prayer right along with me. You can pray it to yourself. You don't have to say it out loud, but just, just uh, pray this along with me. God, I need you now. Lord, I have sinned, and today I want to apologize and repent for that. I need you in my life. I need your son Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I need your Holy Spirit to come and live inside of me and dwell inside of me. I need that power. I need that discernment. I need that direction. I need that guidance from you, God, that only you can give. So would you come inhabit me now? Become part of my life. Be first in my life, God. Lord, we praise you and thank you for everything that you've done. In Jesus' name. Amen.